This morning with us, we have got Eva, and um, I only um, met Eva through a podcast <laughs> about a year ago, and when I heard her story about, you know, what she's been through, and we played a, a clip last week um, as well, so many of you are familiar with aspects of her story, but when I heard the story, I was like, you know what, we need to bring Eva to lift. We need to hear the story, uh, because it's a story that that captures, I guess, a sense of what really the darkness that life can be on this earth, but also the glorious hope that we can have as Christians, and also how God can use what has, was meant to really destroy us to then bring hope and life to other people. And so Eva captures that, and I met up with her maybe about a month and a half ago, and I was like, You've got so much life, and you've got so much joy, and I absolutely love it. We're going to have a great conversation, um, so why don't you help me welcome Eva as she comes up this morning. Hi, guys. Oh, yeah. There we go, and then yeah. we flick that. Got it. Awesome. So... So good that you're here this morning. Yep. And, um, so glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me, guys. <laughs> no, no worries. Um, you know, the podcast I listened to, I think it was about an hour and a half long. Yeah, it was a long one. And so I'm going <laughs> to ask you firstly in five minutes. <laughs> now, we, are, we have put a link up for the video on our socials and you can also ask for it so you can get a bit more of a picture. Yeah. But Eva, while you're here, would you be able to kind of summarize some of the key things that has brought you to where you are today? Yeah. Um, well, I don't know how far back you want me to go. <laughs> but um, I was born in India and um, I was born in a predominantly female household with my aunties and grandmas and mum and yeah. Lots of females. And, um, you know, if you know Indian families, you know that there's just all the extended families living with you as well. So we just had a lot of females in our house. We had, um, my dad had passed away when I was uh, a year and a half. And I didn't know, though. My family told me that he was in uh, working in Singapore. And I, I think it was their own way of trying to kind of shield me from, you know, whatever trauma. But... I don't recommend it. <laughs> um, I would definitely be honest in child-friendly ways. But, yeah, I didn't know that he was, um, he'd passed away. And I also uh, found out when I was about five, when I'd started um, learning to read, and I was, you know, visiting my grandfather's grave. And as I was reading the n names, the inscriptions on the gravestone, I was reading my grandfather's name, and then there was another name and another date. And I just kept reading, and it was my dad's name, and the, d my dad's birth and death uh, date. And my mum was with me, and I looked at her. She kind of looked at me to say, like, oh, okay, you've realised that he's dead. And um, we didn't talk about it, and, you know, I was just, I just knew that I didn't have a dad. And um, I went home, and I think that was when I was about five, was when I truly felt fatherless in this world. Wow. And I had so far told all my like kindy pre-primary friends that my dad is working abroad and I would wave to all the planes um, as they went past. But yeah, and my cousin kind of later confirms that, yep, I told you not to wave at planes. Um, <laughs> 
That's a very and sympathetic way of dealing with that situation. He was only a couple of years older than me, so he thought I was so silly for doing this because he, he remembered, I think. Wow. And um, yeah, so that's kind of my introduction, I guess, to uh, the world. And um, since then, there had just been a lot of abuse from various men in my family and... Um, uh, by the time I was 11, I'd been abused by um, seven different, six different men. And then my mum would marry uh, my stepdad, and then it just continued uh, the same kind of abuse. And uh, we moved to Australia when I was 14, 13 or 14. And um, I was here for a year. I didn't really know what um, the abuse that I had endured was very, I guess, taboo, and so I didn't really know what it was. I was very groomed to think that it was what everyone went through. Mm. And so then I came to Australia and we had like health lessons. And that's when I realized that this, this stuff that was happening to me isn't cultural. It's not, you know, because I didn't have a dad and didn't know what dads were supposed to do. Mm. And so when I came to Australia and, you know, learned all this health stuff, I realized the yeah, I guess in um, weight of what was happening to me. And then I heard, um, I, like a boy asked me out at school and I said, I can't go. And he'd made a crude joke and I said, it's not funny because it's true. And then he was, um, you have to tell the chaplain. If you don't tell the chaplain, I'm gonna tell her at lunch. Told the chaplain, chaplain contacted DCP and I was taken into foster care. Mm. So that's how I entered into foster care. That day, um, and that was about fifteen-ish. Yeah, I was. Yeah, uh, just before my fifteenth birthday. So I had my fifteenth birthday at this um, person's house. I was like sleeping on their air mattress in their front room because they didn't have anywhere else. And um, I remember waking up at twelve, like midnight, and just watching the clock go. And I just felt so sorry for myself. And you know, it was just a really lonely, lonely time and scary and shameful. Um, so all of those feelings, just the opposite of the fruit of the spirit, was just kind of um, engulfing me, I think, at that time. And, um, yeah, so came into foster care. I was with a couple of uh, people, a couple of families. And the first family that I was with um, were fine. I was with them for a couple of months. And then they found a placement. It took a long time because I was a teenager. And I think it takes, you know, not many people are open for teenagers and or want to take teenagers. And so it took a very long time for them to find anywhere for me to go. Mm. And um, so when I did, um, it was just their culture was completely different to mine. Um, and I remember um, the first morning at their house, I was sitting in the room and I didn't know what the family's... Um, routines were so I was just sitting in there I'd gotten ready I went back into my room before anyone was up and I was sitting there so scared and then I had a knock on my door and I was like yep real timid and um, the foster parent was like uh, are you up do you want some breakfast and I was like okay and she goes would you like Nutrigrain or Cheerios and I remember thinking what the heck is a Nutrigrain <laughs> And um, I was like, ah, oh, the first one. <laughs> and then I went outside and I realised it was cereal. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay. And um, yeah, and so it was a real adjustment to kind of fit into, I guess, the norms of what a uh, English family would 
you know, were used to and what was the reality of living there. Um, and then my placement broke down a couple of years after that. I'm just giving you a quick, quick overview. <laughs> um, and then I ended up in a group home. Um, and this group home, I think, was the first time, by this time I was about 17, and I was there for a couple of years, and then I aged out of care. Mm. Um, but God comes in there, like, yeah. the entire way through. His story has, you know, it's his story, and he's been weaving his grace throughout, you know, even the times that, I guess, to the world looks, like, completely dark and uh, sad and dangerous. I just, you know, there's these little tiny glimmers of hope where he'd planted these little seeds and these little people, these little comments, a smile, all of those things where he just, I could see that he kept me, it carried me all throughout the times of suffering and mm. darkness. And um, yeah, I think once I was aged out, I went, I went on my year, year 12, when I was in year 12 to the Philippines with my school on a mission trip. And I think I, when I went there, it kind of reminded me of India, you know, the similar kinds of poverty l levels and all that kind of stuff and the suffering. And I just remembered, oh my goodness, I have forgotten where I came from. You know, to live in a place where even though I would be considered relatively poor in that time, I was still so rich. And I didn't have to, you know, like practically I didn't have to worry about where I was what I was going to eat or where I was going to sleep because there was a system set up to make sure that I had all of those basic needs met. Mm. And then when I went back, I just God just reminded me that there is, not that he invalidated my suffering because mm. I think he, he was very much just showing me that I carried you through and now you have a purpose. Uh, I mean, you have always had a purpose because I'm carrying you through, because of mm. whose you are, because you belong to me. And... Um, yeah, when I went there and we were singing, um, you know, Set a Fire, yeah, and um, this is my desire, all of those, like, <laughs> older ones, <laughs> and um, we were singing those songs and I just, you know, felt the Holy Spirit and for the first time, uh, second time, I just realized I had forgotten what it is like um, to be in the hand of God, mm. um, you know, and to know that you're in the hand of God and to just rely on own, your own resources and stuff like that. Um, so I gave my life to God, um, and it was already his anyway, and um, we came back to Perth, and I think it, it was, that was a moment of re redemption, like it was just this turning of a story, right. um, yeah, mm. yeah. You know, I know every person has a different journey through perhaps recovery and healing, and I find it really interesting that you went, you could see God's hand through mm. all of these wonderful little mm. glimmers of hope. How did you get to that place of seeing God's hand in the positive, perhaps, but not God's absence or perhaps mm. his, I don't know, his unfairness, maybe mm -mm. even in the darker areas of life? How did you have that yeah. perspective? That's a really qu good question, and I get it, you know, like from my youth kids, I'm a high school teacher, so just, you know, that's the question I think we all wrestle with all the time. And I have to say, even when we were, I was going through all of this stuff, I was about 15, and this was the very last night that I was abused in that way. And when I was sitting at the end of my bed, and I was praying, and I was just, I'd realized that I'd never prayed properly before. I grew up in a Christian family. People assume um, I came from a Hindu family because 
were Indian, <laughs> but my family were Christian. And, um, you know, I remember sitting there praying and going, God, you either need to take my life or you need to take this away because I can't, I can't do this. It's not, I'm sure this is not what you have for me. Mm. And in that moment, and this is where words stumped me, I just felt the whole presence of the Holy Spirit and the peace that surpasses all understanding just fill my entire body from my toes to my head and it was just warm and electrifying and then I went to sleep and I felt this peace in the midst of the suffering because the suffering was never what was meant for me and you know like what the world is the one who um, hurt me the world is you know when when I was in the world, or when I am in the world, and people are not following the will of God, the people have the choice to then hurt us. And I think the realization that God is the one who then redeemed me, he is not part of the hurt, but he is part of the redemption. That's when you go back and go, okay, I see you there, I see you there, I see you there, and you are just sprinkled throughout, you know? And um, just, yeah, I think there's, I, it's undeniable the mercy and the grace of God. Um, yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, I think, look, every person might have a different journey and mm. wrestles with that. And I love that for you, there was a sense of like, hang, hang on, no, God is real. Mm. So how do I see him in my story? And you could recognize that. At the same time, can you perhaps describe a bit of your healing process? Because obviously, you, I've told you to, to have five minutes to describe your story. But healing wasn't like, I was broken and now I'm healed. No, not at all. Yeah, it's definitely so not linear. I think I mean, it would be so good if it was. Um, but I think every season of life kind of highlights to me some of the brokenness that happened. And it's so, I think, hard. And sometimes when I'm in my worst moments, it just feels like, okay, God, I'm ready to come home. You know, just, I know that there is perfect peace with you. So why am I still here? And those moments happen all the time. And, Even you know, to this day. yeah, absolutely. But I think what, if these, when these moments happened for me, when I was a teenager, it's completely different to when I am now, because brokenness doesn't just leave us. We are, we are in a broken world of darkness and sadness and, and hurt and our body remembers mm -hmm. uh, the trauma and our body remembers all of the missed nurturing and right. the injustice and I heard one of um, these authors that I follow Jamie Finn um, she said trauma is a response um, to the injustice that our bodies were never meant to go through and, and you know and that is so validating that none of that was meant for us um, but it is also the hope that we have in Jesus because I had this Holy Spirit experience and then two days later I forgot about it. And it wasn't until 10 years right. after that I remembered. All right. And so it was very much that God gave me what I needed to survive that moment so that he can bring me to thriving. Right. And I think it's a journey. And when I say mm. thriving, then you go back and you mm. come back, you know, and it's just a pendulum. And I don't think it's always going to swing as wide, you mm. know, and the pendulum slows down and, you know, there's more and more healing. There's always so perfect healing is p possible and available with God. But for some reason, he doesn't choose to do it in a moment. And I think we just have to, as his children, as his daughters and sons, 
Do we trust our Father, our Heavenly Father, who breathes life into us enough mm. to know that He will give healing to us mm. as He sees fit because He loves us, mm. because He sees the journey. And He, he yeah. doesn't, you know, um, the verse that says if we can't be trusted with little, we can't be trusted with, lot, with a lot. Um, that's, I think, I forgot where in the Bible it is from, but I'm pretty sure it's said by, from a human to a human, not from God to human. And so um, between humans, we need trust, right? Because I don't know you as well as whoever else, you know? Like I, I, we don't know each other fully, fully. And so I, there's always an element of trust that I need to have and employ mm. to be able to trust and have a relationship but with God it's I don't it's not necessarily that he need, he's trusting us or not trusting us to give us the things we need but it's rather training I think you know mm. it's a trust versus training and as he's training me to hold the little he's going to train me to hold the big right. and I think that's why some sometimes I wonder what would happen if healing all came to me in one at once mm. and you know all of the nuances of humanness that we learn as we you know progress through the journey of healing little by little at a time mm. there's just this training that happens along with it and training yeah. and pruning is hard work mm. yeah. and it never feels nice and it is <laughs> you know we would all rather not go through it mm. however if we don't go through the training and pruning then we're never going to be the tree that's firmly rooted in him yeah not striving to produce the fruit, but producing the fruit as a result of being rooted in him. Mm. And um, yeah. yeah, don't know if I just veered off the question. That's good. Um, I did tell Eva that if any question I ask, she doesn't want to answer, she can say pass. So if she says pass, that's because this was unscripted. <laughs> um, but do you see yourself, because I feel like when I'm speaking to some people, there's this sense of um, I'm, I've been broken and so I'm broken. Mm. And then there's this sense of like, as long as there, there's an element of brokenness, I'm still broken. Versus God has healed me or even is healing me. Mm. So when you look at yourself, do you see a sense of I am broken or I am healed? And I know that they're very absolute mm. statements, mm -mm. But, but how do you see yourself? That's a really good question. I don't know how to answer that one. Um, <laughs> um, no, I think I don't see myself as broken, but I do see myself as sinful. Um, and I see myself as incomplete without him. Um, so, you know, it's funny. I was, I was at a wedding yesterday, which is why my hair looks fabulous today. <laughs> and uh, we were, um, it was one of my friends getting married and I was seated with this beautiful lady um, who goes to my, runs the kid ch kids' church at my church. And um, she was just asking about, because we have foster carers, my husband and I, and we've cared for a few kids. Um, <laughs> and my daughter, who is um, currently almost 18, she um, has been just having a fantastically traumatic time recently. And just all the traumas coming out, and we've just had to navigate a lot of difficult things um, just trauma presenting itself in different ways. And um, you would think that because I was in care and because I'd been through similar like self-harm stuff or whatever, that I would somehow be empathetic towards <laughs> it. <laughs> 
And it's not that I don't show that I'm not empathetic. I think some of the stuff, when it comes to the moment, it's the sinfulness of me is so evident that I just go, oh my gosh, again, or, oh, this, you know, I'm so tired from work. And the first thing you think is self. And then God goes, I don't do that to you. <laughs> and then I'm slow to patience. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so then, you know, even though we, we may not have the feelings of love, you kind of act in love and then the feelings follow. Um, so that's been my journey for the last few weeks almost. And it's just been some intense stuff. And we as human, we want to preserve ourselves. We want to glorify ourselves. We want to focus on our, you know, sleep and all that kind of stuff. And it's okay to meet our needs. But I think I can definitely elevate that. And we can all elevate that. And then to meet the needs of somebody else... I'm like, okay, being a parent, I think, some exposes the sinfulness of our own hearts so much more than anything else. <laughs> Even when we don't act in it, it's there. And we know that we are flawed and sinful. And it's only by the grace of God that we are anything else other than broken and sinful. And so, yeah, maybe not brokenness, but I do, I'm very aware of my sinfulness. Yeah. I guess in a way, and that, this is part of the conversation that we had when we got Jalari yep. a while ago, but there's that sense as well in your story that you might call yourself sinful, but you were also massively sinned against. Mm. Um, and in that way, you could maybe say that you're a victim of mm. what took place in this really broken world. Mm. Um, how did you move from a place of, you know, I was a victim of that, mm. and even maybe to a sense that I survived that, to going, that doesn't actually define me fully? Or, or mm. how does that interact with Eva of today? Yeah, um, I think we had conversations around this. Um, and we were talking about victimhood and how it was so, the easiest thing for me to do was sit in my identity as a victim because that is a true identity that I have. And uh, um, maybe not true, it's, a, it's equally valid, I think. Mm. It, it would be fine for people to look at me if I was doing, um, just having unhealthy coping systems for them to go, oh no, that makes sense. You know, she's been through this. Yeah, it would be to totally valid. However, I think the easiest thing for me to do would be to sit in my victimhood. But the redemptive thing for me to step into mm. would be for me to realize that victimhood d isn't my entire identity. Yeah. And it also isn't, um, like, doesn't give me permission to then have the only truth. You know, because victimhood, <laughs> I feel like the dichotomy usually is victim versus perpetrator. And when you are comfortably sitting in your victimhood, you're never entering into the perpetrator. And when we think that we are never perpetrators of, and in anybody's story, in any capacity, I think we can get into a place of huge arrogance. Yeah. Um, and that's the danger we have as people, you know, foster youth or youth who've been adopted, whatever it is, that's the danger of us going, okay, even though people have sinned against me, even though I was a victim, the sinfulness is there. And I can be equally, maybe not equally, <laughs> hopefully not equally, <laughs> but um, I, can, I am a perpetrator too in, a, in somebody's story. And, but neither of those things need to attach to our identity because we are who he says we are. Not a victim, not a perpetrator, but a human who is um, 
hopefully consistently learning to cleave onto God, who is learning to abide in him. Yeah. And then we can continue to grow in his likeness. Yeah. And then hopefully the other people who are coming, at, coming after us and growing up after us and looking up to us can actually be looking at what God is like and we can be a reflection of him. So, yeah, I think that's a dichotomy I would definitely try to stay away from. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, and maybe it's, it's tough because I guess, you know, all the Hollywood stories is like you're either the victim or the perpetrator. Mm. But to kind of see I'm a victim and a perpetrator mm. and therefore maybe I'm something else <laughs> mm. <laughs> completely. Yeah. I'm human. victim and a perpetrator and so much more. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and, you know, it's and it, I think it's very... Um, dichotomies are just easy to yeah. understand. When we only have two things to choose from, our brains don't have to work too hard to understand <laughs> the nuances, right? Yeah. <laughs> but we are so much more than just this or the, this or that. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's so good. I, I really appreciated that. And just that insight as well into someone who's suffered trauma and going, okay, so for them it's like, it, it is maybe a little bit black and white. So, um, how did you journey out of, you know, that black and whiteness into maybe a more grey? How did, how did you come out of that? What was yeah. helpful? Because, you know, if I came to you in, in, when you were 15 and said, that's black and white, Eva. <laughs> you are so much more than that. <laughs> you would probably have slapped me and walked away. <laughs> so, how, what was helpful in that journey of discovering this? I wouldn't have slapped you. I would have probably just rolled my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think in proximity with community, um, mm. I would say, you know, unless we are rubbing shoulders with people who are following God, we're only going to have our own theology and we're only going to be soaked into what we think is correct. And um, so if we don't have that community around us who are kind of refining us, iron sharpening iron, um, then, yeah, the threat of falling into that, the easy thinking is going to be so, so easy. And um, <laughs> I would say, like, the boring answer, hopefully not boring, though, um, would be to, like, know God's word. You know, I think at, to a 15-year-old, that might not look like sitting down and reading the Bible. Um, but it does look like people, putting people in their lives or people coming alongside them who will speak that modeling, you know? Like, um, yeah, and I think that's, we struggle with that and wrestle with that with my daughter um, as to how to model. I remember, like, recently we were having a, one of those chats and... Um, I just started saying, talking about God and how he's amazing and he's never, you know, he doesn't leave us. And, and then in my back of my head, I can hear the Holy Spirit going, can you stop preaching at her? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, okay. And um, it's like, you know, sometimes it's so easy just because we know the love of God. I think we can sometimes be tactless in how we translate that. <laughs> um, but yeah, as a 15-year-old, I think what I would have appreciated is people who were wiser coming alongside me, listening and holding my hand in a figurative way um, so that I could, yeah, yeah. see the things mm -hmm. rather than hear. Yeah. yeah. And I think in the podcast that I listened to, I really loved how you spoke about the church community that you kind of fell into a little bit. Mm. Uh, and I really loved how you said that there was this unsaid roster. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, no, no official roster, but people just took you out for lunch every mm, week. Mm. Um, 
how did how did that start? Because for me, sometimes I think when I think about myself, <laughs> it's like coming to this random person, like, hey, you're coming up for lunch with us. <laughs> it's a bit like, eh. and especially for someone yeah. I don't know, like that where you were in terms of trust. Mm. Yeah. How did that start? Was that was that confronting for people to want to be part of your life and your story? And how did they? How did you overcome that? How did they overcome that? Yeah. Um, so my best friend um, invited me to her church this one time. And she said, she didn't invite me. She said, I'm playing piano at church for the first time. Do you want to come watch me? <laughs> and I think that was, you know, like set, set up. I think it was a set up. Anyway, I went to her. I was living at the group home at this time. And I went to the church and I met this boy. And uh, he is now my husband. <laughs> um, and he was so annoying. <laughs> And I was like, what is this guy so obnoxious? And um, yeah, I realized he was just really nervous to talk to me. <laughs> but um, yeah, we um, went in and, you know, it was just more like the young adults came alongside. And it was a very small church and it was just really nice to not be in like a big, overwhelming building with no connections almost. And um, but yeah, it was, you know, we were just a couple of people. We would go for Bible study and eat brownies and all that kind of stuff. And then eventually it turned into, I just, I think youth in foster care or, you know, just people who don't have the community around them, that is a yearning we have. And it's not necessarily, like, we, we may not be able to vocalise that and sometimes it looks like they are standoffish or we, you know, I would probably have been, um, like, a no, I'm okay person but deep inside my heart, that is a yearning to be connected and in community with others. And it, this is the exact same with my daughter. Um, you know, at, initially it's just very much like, don't talk to me, keep walking. And <laughs> <laughs> but then, uh, you know, I sometimes orchestrate um, friend hangs <laughs> and um, very slyly I make them think it's their plan. <laughs> and, um, and, then, and then they love it and it's life-giving and, you know, and it's this church scenario was very much that it was every now and then it would be they'd say oh we're going we're having this for lunch do you want to come and being in a group home I survived on pizza and ice cream and so I was yes I want some carrots <laughs> and so I would you know I was really um, appreciative of that anyway I, I I just went in feeling a little bit awkward, but eventually it just became a thing. I'm like, oh, I know that I'm gonna go and have lunch with a family today, um, which was really cool, yeah. Yeah, yeah so it was just organic, it just, mm. and I guess it was uh, a wonderful introduction to church community yeah. and what what's possible um, mm. where we represent God in that way. Yeah. Um, so now you're also a foster parent and um, you kind of mentioned really quickly that, you know, your foster experience kind of broke down. Mm. Um, how, are, how are you navigating being a healthy, present foster <laughs> 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 um, yeah. when maybe you didn't have the experience um, yourself? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we don't have any biological kids, um, but I always um, knew that we you know, would want to foster or adopt, uh, not really sure when or how that was going to come about. And we'd been married for about f four years, I think, when we started the process of getting into care. Um, and we applied, got through, we had a few kids, it was fun, and then we had the challenges. 
And then I started realizing that I'm not a saint <laughs> and I am not Jesus and <laughs> that I need to stop pretending to be him <laughs> and try to just be more like him. <laughs> and um, yeah, but it's, it's just this blind reliance sometimes. <laughs> I don't really know how to say like specific strategies that I've used. Like, of course, like being trauma informed is a huge thing that, um, you know, knowing that traditional parenting is gonna be different to parenting a child with trauma. And sometimes parenting a child with trauma is gonna look like enabling to people watching from outside. Um, but we know our kids' needs and we know where God is gonna come and meet us and we know that too much patience is okay. Um, and that, you know, I think the anxiety for me starting my parenting journey came from, oh, she needs to be a well-rounded adult. And I was always parenting the adult that she needed to be rather than parenting the child that she is. Mm -hmm. um, rather than meeting her where she is at now, every, I was trying to turn everything into a lesson. <laughs> and, um, you know, and, and I hated that as a child. And I don't know why I was doing that. And because maybe that's what I was exposed to, I was trying to make mm -hmm. everything into a lesson rather than delighting in my child. And uh, my prayer recently has just been, God, help me delight in my child. Help me just see them for the child that you've made them to be and nothing else. They're not a future human, they're a human now. And um, yeah, I think it's just consistently seeking God's wisdom and then not acting out of my sinfulness, but acting out of his wisdom has been um, a life changer. I think, um, yeah, it, there were so many times where I just questioned and went, I did sign up to this, <laughs> and, you know, and I felt like I can't complain. <laughs> but um, parenting is hard anyway. And then parenting children who have trauma is just has that extra layer on top yeah. that you have to navigate. But God is just always, you know, there to give us wisdom. He gives wisdom freely to those who ask. Yeah. You know, that's the one gift that he doesn't measure. He just gives. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, so I think we can always ask for wisdom mm -hmm. from God and never feel like we're asking for too much of it. Yeah. yeah. For someone that is perhaps thinking about stepping into foster parenting or wanting to understand that, what are, you, you mentioned parenting um, with trauma-informed lenses. Um, how, how does someone get ready for that? Yeah, I think like there are so many amazing resources that we can have. Um, and this is a bit stupid probably to some, but um, Instagram has been some of my <laughs> like uh, greatest tools because there are some people on Instagram um, who are authors and who are trained uh, professionals and they are so generous with their knowledge and I've just been you know like connecting with people online who I have or who have similar lived experiences but then I know that they are more they are wiser and they've had more experience or whatever it is and just being humble enough to know I need to learn so much mm -hmm. and um, but then if you want you know and I think that's been really helpful for someone who is busy because I work full-time so it's hard to kind of go to a training session that like the department offers sometimes so you know reading on the fly is just amazing <laughs> or listening to podcasts but I would seek them out because there's so many godly and um, Christian men and women who have just trauma-informed stuff out there mm -hmm. That just, um, yeah, but I would always look at it through the lens, lens of God and go, okay, is this actually biblical and is this okay? Um, yeah, because there is also a lot out there that yeah. might not quite match up <laughs> to, yeah. to the Bible. So, um, yeah, I think I would definitely recommend that. And then connecting in with the community. 
um, of people, other foster carers and other people who've walked down that road, um, yeah, would yeah. be. What would you um, advise, speak to our church in wanting to support foster carers? How do we do that? What are some practical ways we can do that? Mm. Um, meals are <laughs> a huge thing. <laughs> Um, there are some churches who, um, yeah, like uh, I know with Wansley, like Providence Midland have done an amazing job where they do meals and provide it to the agency. The agency has like a fridge and they, you know, like allocated to whoever they need. Um, I would say like as a kid who aged out of care, I had no cooking skills. And, um, you know, coming alongside them, like nutrition is a really lacking space. Um, and firstly, you don't, you know, nutritious food to buy is very, very expensive when you don't have the skills. So then you end up eating anything that is cheap Pizza. and out of a packet. Yeah. <laughs> and anything you can shove in the oven and get it out in two seconds and, and it's done. Um, but <laughs> unfortunately, like I found it really hard to take care of myself um, mm. when I first came out of care and I didn't know, have the skills and, or even just going to the shops and getting food is can be really overwhelming so um there's you know organizations who have young people who are about to age out they don't have family support they don't have any one to fall back on mm. no one to go and do their washing at if they've just moved out you know none of that and so coming alongside something like that like an organization like that and thinking okay what can be if we do a brainstorm yeah. almost of what are the skills that we have in our church and what are the what's the margin that we have in terms of time you know and really practic really being specific about the generosity and having a plan for generosity mm. i think would be a an amazing yeah. uh need mm. gap filled yeah and i think a big part of it is that this world can seem a little bit hidden mm. we talk about the war in ukraine but we don't talk about the yeah. kids um, yeah. in our streets and in our mm. system how do we find yeah. these kids <laughs> <laughs> um, I would I think like what I love and I just have to rave about some of the churches in America is their awareness and mm. I think like you guys are awesome because for a church that's fairly small like I know that you told me that you there's so many people who are kind of in that space or thinking of being in that space and I think that's just awesome because there are some churches so big they don't necessarily even have that conversation or have you know people in that realm so that's already such a huge encouragement to someone who isn't um you know necessarily um part of the church here i mean we are family but um you know it's just really encouraging i think i was really i was raving about you guys to um my husband <laughs> and um yeah but to find these spaces i would definitely like Google the agencies, call them up and ask because there's um, and they might always like there would there would be responses that would be a bit, um, I guess, like shocked. They would, you know, because no one really comes and asks. <laughs> so they may not know how to respond initially. But then if we have a plan and say this is what we can do and this is what we would like to offer. Um, they might ask you how much does it cost, <laughs> and if you say nothing, <laughs> um, <laughs> then um, yeah. yeah, it would be pretty good. I know, you know, I can link this with some, but um, schools would be a great place to start because obviously mm. schools have kids in care, and so um, meeting up with student services or principals or whatever might be a great 
place. Um, but there's sometimes there's just weight when we go as an organization rather than a person. Yeah. Not that people can't make change, but there's just, I think, in the world, there's trust mm. under big names or just yeah. established thing. Mm. So Yeah, and I think I saw that a few, maybe last week you were talking about um, kids who are in that semi-independent getting their license mm. is super difficult. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Getting, um, so my uh, daughter has just almost finished her driving hours. And um, for me, it took a year and a half to get 25 hours down so I could get my practical test and get my license because I had no one to take me driving. And I may or may not have forged a couple of hours in there. <laughs> and um, We'll scrub that from the recording. Yeah, don't, don't, don't put that on. <laughs> but um, yeah, and it's, it's really, really hard to get driving hours when you don't have people to take you driving, right? And as a teen, like I was just really excited for my daughter and I calculated the time that she got it in and it was six months because she had us, she had my husband, she had people around her like youth leaders who all just did what needed to be done and um, yeah I think that would be, a, that's a huge space and it's not necessarily a space even caseworkers are aware of because um, once you are not in a foster home, you don't have anyone advocating for you. The parents aren't advocating for you because you don't have any. And um, people who are on there rostered, they are rostered for a few hours. So they don't necessarily see the need or account for the need because the priority isn't for you to get your license. The priority is, um, are you alive? yeah, to <laughs> you know, are you alive and are you going to make it to 18 so we can sign you off? And unfortunately, that's the harsh reality for kids in kids who are aging out um, so coming alongside and taking them driving would be an amazing thing if once you build some relationships yeah we all need to up our insurances <laughs> <laughs> now that's so good hey um, as we kind of close off uh, are there anything that you just want to share with our church and you know from the different things that we've spoken about this will give you some space to share yeah definitely I think um, I've been listening to John Mark Comer um, recently and he's been going through like this uh, Sabbath podcast and, you know, exercising Sabbath as a church, but not as a legalistic thing, but as a spiritual practice. Um, and it just really like made me think about rest um, and soul, deep soul rest, not, you know, switching off from social media for a week and then hopefully that will make it better. <laughs> it does, maybe for a moment. Um, and then we're straight back into the notifications, right? And, um, <laughs> um, but the Jewish day started at sundown, sunset. And so we, they started the day with rest and when we start our day with rest, we're sleeping, we're resting, and God is at work. So God is at work and we're resting, and then we partner with God. Um, when we wake up the next day or that day, whatever, you know. And um, it was just such a refreshing way for me to think about rest and that it's not something that we're allowed to do. It's something that we need to do, that our soul needs to be resting in him and that a tree you know when it's growing it's not striving and working hard to produce the fruit but it's just abiding and rooted and firmly planted in the true source who gives us life so that the fruit is produced as a result 
um, rather than something we're just like aiming at and trying to achieve. And I think if there's anything that we're all addicted to probably, it's achievement. You know, if the more that we achieve and the more that we have to this invisible like resume almost, um, the more valid we are or the more um, right we have to be a human alive. And um, yeah, achievement addiction is a huge thing that we battle and especially people who've had you know, massive amounts of trauma. You feel like unless you have some done some stuff, and you know, unless there there has been a group who are clapping for you or whatever, it can feel like, what else is, you know, how else am I um, valid? And um, so, I think that's just the culture we're in too. You know, the achievement addiction culture. And um, I would just encourage everyone, I think, um, to really engage in true rest with him so that it forces us to stop achieving. It forces us to uh, stop being people who just do, do, do and turns us into people who just be in him, abide in him. Um, yeah, I think that's a rest, true soul rest. Awesome. Why don't we thank Eva? <laughs> thank you so much. That was such a great conversation and I hope that you all could take something out of that. Um, I just wanted to just close off and just, um, I guess, put a bit of an encouragement call out as well. Like, you know, we talked about a lot of stuff um, over the last, um, I don't know, 40, 45 minutes. And one of the things that, you know, when I was preparing for this, there was this big sense of, um, you know, whatever we've experienced ourselves, God is able to carry us through. Not just to get us to a place of, oh, I don't hurt anymore, because that's not really the goal but to a place where we can actually partner with God and to do the things that God has called us to. And so if you're here in this place and you're sensing that, you know, I don't know whether I've got anything to give or, you know, I'm going through this and there's all of these issues and problems and I don't know how um, God would want to partner with me. I just really felt like we can just take this moment and we just want to pray and just believe that God's going to be meeting you where you're at, even in your seat right now. Um, so why don't we just close our eyes, and in particular, if that is you, if that's where you're at, maybe just put your hands out as a sign of, I want to receive this. And God, I just want to pray for each and every person in this room. No matter what our journeys, no matter what we've gone through, no matter what we've experienced, God, you are able to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond anything we could hope or imagine. We thank you that our faith in you is never put to shame. And so, God, for every person that maybe is feeling discouraged, for every person who is maybe feeling inadequate, we thank you that, God, that we get to turn to you. We get to receive this abundant grace uh, that is available for us. Um, and, God, I pray that you would quicken and bring to our hearts, to our minds, to, to us, that, God, that you are partnering with us and that you are wanting to move in us and through us. You have got a plan. You have got a purpose for us. And that there are people in this world that you are calling us to. So even this morning, God knows that maybe you're, you're, you're calling them to be more involved in the, in the foster system in some way, shape, or form. God, I pray that you would just speak to them and help them to know that you are going to be with them on this journey, as scary as it might sound, um, as, as inadequate as we might feel, that God, that you are calling us and gracing us for this. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being part of our gathering this morning. You can connect with Eva um, a couple of different ways. On Insta in particular, there is 
her personal one where there's lots of different info, especially about the foster system. Did you just want to uh, let us know what Consider the Lily is all about? Yeah, sure. I forgot about that. Um, <laughs> I am ambassadoring an organization called Consider the Lily, which is based in the Philippines. Um, and they basically rescue girls out of uh, trafficking and they uh, all sexual abuse, any of those uh, situations, and they bring them to like this aftercare home. Um, it might to the Western eye look like an orphanage, but the idea is a home. Um, it's a family rather than an institution. Um, and so they, uh, there are about 70 girls across two homes, and they uh, have all, like some of them have started at three years old who came to the home, and some of them uh, have you know, grown into adults and they're now pursuing master's degrees. Um, so there are about seven, I think, uh, in university currently. There are some girls who've, you know, done all of that and then come back to serve um, in the organization, which is just so fantastic and just a testament to God's redemption and again mm. to who he is. Um, and yeah, so that's the organization. We've got some fundraisers coming up. I'm not yeah. sure if I'm allowed to talk about them. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> yeah, so we've got a quiz night coming up where we're fundraising for them on the 1st of October. It's pretty full now, so I'm not sure if we have any more tables, but we do have one coming up on the 6th of November at the Quarry Amphitheater. I don't know, it's like all the way in the city. It's beautiful, and we're doing like a benefit concert. So you're all welcome to join us and partner with God in just a little way um, so we can serve the girls in the Philippines. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that's it for us this morning. If you want to have a chat, Eva will be sticking around as well. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Live Church or on Facebook at Live Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.